Social media. I'm going to keep complaining about it for a while. I hope that's okay. Um, one of the dangers of social media is the way that it flattens people. Uh, it, it turns people into caricatures. Um, when you only have 280 characters to express your ideas, depth and nuance kind of go out the window. Um, so we get memes, we get quips, shots, and takedowns, and people create silos of ideology, political ghettos, and huge echo chambers that affirm them while crushing competing ideas and, and doing that really through imaginary conversations. Alan Jacobs is a professor of literature at Baylor University. He refers to this, this caricature that people make of others um, as the repugnant cultural other. The repugnant cultural other. I love that phrase. It is so descriptive. Uh, it's like I have the ultimate excuse to, to pigeonhole someone and just judge them to be unworthy because they're repugnant. They're other. They're repugnant, leaving me morally superior and free to look down on them. Isn't that great? So freeing. And they're other. They're they or, or them. You know, so we don't ever really have to deal with them because they're always out there and we never clearly define or, 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 or know them because they're always lurking just out of reach waiting to infect us with their repugnance and then we can I'm defending myself against these people and friends too often we turn people into straw men and imagine them as these two-dimensional uh, individuals and, and, and just absolutely diametrically opposed to us. And it works the other way around, too. You know, we do this on social media. We do this when we watch the news, you know. <laughs> okay, semi-political, but not overly. My dad... Every time a certain president would come on and say, look, he's lying. How do I know? His lips are moving. Same kind of idea. And we do this all the time as we watch the media. And we just, we just make people into these two-dimensional characters. And we, we lose all sense of nuance. And they do it to us, too. Have you ever been with somebody who's like gossip? And they're telling you all their juicy stories? And then paused to think, what do they say when I'm not here? Yeah, that's the idea. So while we're flattening others, they're making caricatures of us and lampooning us so that they can leave us and not have to deal with us. That counts as individuals. But it also counts for us as Christians, that there's a caricature, a stereotype that's out there. And it's used as a defense 
so people don't have to deal with us. It's very convenient. And I wonder if that's part of what's happening in our gospel lesson today. Um, when, when Jesus is confronted by this man with an unclean spirit, and we need to be clear, uh, the man is possessed by an evil spirit. Sometimes people like to, uh, to, or to explain these things away so that we don't have to deal with the spiritual uh, dimension of life. You know, so they try to come up with naturalistic explanations to what's going on. The truth is, this is a spiritual encounter. And, and this is spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare was an important part of Jesus' ministry, and it is an important part of ours. There's a part of the baptismal liturgy where we say, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? You remember that line? Do you know what that is properly called theologically? The exorcism. Yeah. Because we believe that we are born sinful and in league with the devil. And therefore, the devil needs to be cast out. That is part of our life as Christians. And the spiritual aspect, is, it continues to be part of who we are. But it, anyhow, this man, uh, with this unclean spirit, he comes into the synagogue. He comes into their equivalent of the church. And he starts yelling, what do we have to do with one another, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He's labeling Jesus. He's defining him through his lenses. Jesus, you know, he is the Holy One of God. And as far as he's concerned, that can only mean one thing, that he's there to bring destruction for him and those who are like him. And in a sense, the Spirit's not wrong. Jesus is the Holy One of God, and he will destroy the power of darkness. But the Spirit is very wrong about what it means to be the Holy One of God. Jesus has not come for a power struggle. You know, we imagine this kind of as, as this competition, Jesus wrestling with the devil. Uh, you know, when the Creator wrestles with his creation... It's usually not a competition. You know, it, it, it's, it's like the you know, 25-year-old professional wrestler and the two-year-old going, I'm going to take you down. No, the power doesn't even compare. And Jesus is the creator, and, and he created this fallen angel that's before him. He created this man that is before him. And so there is, no, there is no competition. There is no struggle in the, in the sense that, that you know, we're going to duke this out and we're going to see who wins. You know, the Spirit is very wrong, you know, that Jesus has come to bring destruction upon the earth. There's another time when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it in, a, in abundance. It's the devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Spirit is trying to line up Jesus as another power that has entered into the world. Another power like the devil who has come to exert his strength among us. 
exert his power over lesser beings like you and me. He's portraying Jesus as a choice, an option to consider among all the gods and devils of the world. He's painting him to be a tyrant, just like the rest, who demands sacrifice and and may or may not bless, depending upon how pleased they are with you. The way we would talk about this today is that Jesus is just one option among many. And Jesus won't have it. He's like, nope, this conversation isn't happening. He says, zip it. Uh, That's that's probably a pretty good translation of the Greek, actually. It'd be muzzle it or tie it shut. So zip it. Come out of him. He's not going to allow this, this unclean spirit to define him. It's Jesus who will show us what it means to be the Holy One of God. And he does that by teaching with authority. Teaching that he delivered to the apostles to hand down to us in Holy Scripture. It's Jesus who will reveal that the Holy One of God comes not with power, like, you know, legions of angels to smite whoever might oppose him, but he comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He comes to be the propitiation, the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. Willingly, lovingly, to empty himself, to go to the cross, to give his life so that we can live in him. In the Gospel of Mark, which is where we're going to get most of our Gospel readings across this year, there are two times that Jesus is called the Son of God. The rest of the book, he's called the Son of Man. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then you go through the whole book, and he's not called the Son of God again until he's dead on the cross, and the Roman centurion looks at him and says, surely this man was the Son of God. To be the Holy One of God is completely different than coming in power and triumph and and, and glory. The Holy One comes to save sinners by giving himself. And even we, even we, Jesus' followers, we don't get to define Jesus. Instead, our, our task is to confess him to say about him what he says about himself. And we take his words and we speak of him as he speaks of himself. He does not conform to our ideas. He's the one with authority because he is the author. He's the author of life. He's the author of creation. He's the author of reality. He is God in human flesh who came to save his people. And his message is, Hey, this is good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the word of this event where Jesus casts out the spirit, it goes out. If that happened here in church, what would you do when you go home? You'd be like, hey, too bad you missed church today. You know, there were some real fireworks there. Wow, that was, you missed it. Mm, Bummer. And they're all talking about him. 
People were amazed. And they recognized that Jesus, Jesus had just taken things up a notch from their normal religious experiences. But in truth, they're amazed at the wrong thing. They're amazed because Jesus commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. They're enamored with the power. And they really ought to be amazed that the kingdom of God has come. They really should be in awe that God comes with grace and forgiveness, not with wrath and judgment, but with his love in order to lead us into repentance and forgiveness. And friends, maybe, maybe that's you too. Maybe you're amazed at, at Jesus' ethics, his sense of justice, his radical confrontation with the oppressive powers, both spiritual and political. And maybe these are things that, that you think should be made known about Jesus to make him famous out there in the world. But in truth, these are secondary to his primary purpose. Jesus didn't come to cast out spirits. He didn't come to cure the sick. He didn't come to advocate for a more just world. He came to cast out death. He came to cure sin that causes it and to advocate for your justification. That is, your forgiveness and your reconciliation to God. He came to proclaim God's salvation has come. And and just in case you think that that things like standing against the powers of of darkness or or mercy for the sick and hurting or or advocacy for justice are, are secondary and then therefore can be just freely ignored, we don't need to do anything with that. Remember that the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God has come. And that means that as citizens of this kingdom, we are called to speak as Christ's ambassadors to tell people about his reign. R-E-I-G-N. That Jesus is the king who brings life and salvation. And that means that you are free and forgiven to represent Christ and to call sin what it is wherever we see it. To call people to the ways of the kingdom, which includes justice and mercy and life and peace. But living in that kingdom, it starts with forgiveness. It starts with receiving God's mercy and then continues on in a life that's lived under Jesus' authority. As I think about this, I I can't help but wonder if the way that the world views us as Christians, uh, the way that it defines us and it makes caricatures of us, I can't help but wonder if that flows from us getting these things mixed up. You know, we're labeled as hypocrites because we don't live up to Jesus' ethics. But really, uh, you know, the primary thing is that, that we are forgiven. We're labeled phobic because we don't live up to Jesus' call for love. 
but we maybe haven't been clear for ourselves or for the world that the primary thing is to first be loved by God unconditionally. We're labeled as judgmental because we look down on the sins of others and maybe we've forgotten that the core of our relationship with God is that Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could be forgiven. We're labeled as self-centered because, well, because we are, even if we don't confess it. And we've put the focus on a faith that looks like us instead of looking like Jesus. But here's the thing that makes all the difference. The world may define us, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, by our sin, by our brokenness. That's certainly what the devil does. He defines you by your sin. But Jesus also speaks a word that defines you. And it's not a flat caricature. It is a full and vibrant picture. He speaks with a wholly different authority. That when he calls you, he calls you beloved. He calls you forgiven, redeemed. He calls you citizens of the kingdom of God. And Jesus' words do what they say. Jesus' words deliver what they promise. His words create. And friends, this word, the word of God delivered to you by by prophets, priests, by Jesus himself, and by his own apostles, this word is what you have been given to share that others might believe in Jesus too. When you talk about Jesus, when you talk to others about him, talking about him as he talks about himself, you wield a word that actually does what it says. And I think that that should make us more confident to share our hope in Jesus as our Savior. Because it's not about what I say and it's not about what I think, but it's about what Jesus has said and what he does through his word. The gospel reading says that the the news about Jesus went out everywhere around Galilee. Jesus was famous. He still is. But often he's famous for the wrong reasons. How can we hold ourselves to, to make sure that we spread his fame for the right reasons? The good news of his salvation. Well, two thoughts. First, Know the word. Attend Bible class. Do devotions. Read the scriptures. Pray. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, we have this petition, this request in there where we say, hallowed be thy name. Part of how we understand that is that that God makes himself known through his word. And we're asking that we would speak that word rightly. 
So maybe we spend some more time praying, hallowed be thy name, to have the power of the Spirit to speak this word in a way that represents Jesus for who he is. And then second, share the word, the actual word. Quote Bible verses. Recall accounts from scriptures when you're talking to people about Jesus. Or, here's a crazy thought, actually share the word. And that's our next challenge for you with our outreach uh, efforts for the month. So we're going to continue to point out or put out videos uh, with little positive messages. But on your way out, you're going to see a basket right by where you picked up communion. And in that basket, there are copies of the Gospel of John, which is uh, probably one of the more accessible uh, Gospels that, that people tend to, you know, really enjoy. It speaks of Jesus as, as love, and, and, and there are a lot of the images in there that are very comfortable for people. And maybe there's an opportunity, as you're talking to somebody about Jesus, to say, do you really want to know who this guy is? Because this is his life and his words. To actually share his word with somebody. And, and we're going to make that available, and, and I want you to take some time to, to pray Take that home with you. Pray about somebody that you might be able to give that to or some way that, that God might get this into somebody's hands through you. See how the Spirit leads you so that you can share it with somebody who needs to meet Jesus or maybe meet Jesus again. Um, you know, Jesus might be famous, but often people don't really know him. They think they do but they know a caricature. They might know something about his followers, you, which might be good or bad, but in the end, we want them to meet the one who is the real authority, the one who can forgive sins, the one who can bring us into God's kingdom, the one who can reconcile us to our Father in heaven. Amen.